my Facebook friends and my podcast friends. We're going to go into a little teaching today on this cold day in the Piedmont of uh, Central North Carolina. Um, But I want to share this message with you because I found it to be something that um, will give us some understanding about where we are and what we're facing in our prospective world as we share Christ. The title of this message is the divine path to tilt the floor and win the lost. I want to welcome all those of you that are joining us on a podcast uh, around the world. We're glad to have you. Contact me at springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministries.com, ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's direct messaging. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Open our eyes that we can see and our ears that we can hear. Our heart that we can understand what the word of God is saying to us. Then may we apply it to our life so that we can be changed into the image of your dear son. Jesus, speak to us. Speak to us out of the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. Show us what we need to know, do, understand, and demonstrate We'll surrender ourselves, yield ourselves, and sanctify ourselves to that very end. We give you praise and honor and glory for all of it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man of the Godhead. My text today comes from Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3. Among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Have you ever wondered why witnessing and so-called soul winning seems to birth those who live a very carnal and worldly lifestyle? Have we ever wondered why the general understanding of the concept of being saved has been relegated to a mental ascent, to the fact that, yes, in fact, there is a Jesus and Yes, in fact, he died on a cross. Have you ever wondered why the use of the grace model, for instance, that tells those who live by that model that grace covers them, that Jesus did it all, and regardless of their lifestyle, they'll go to heaven? Now, as we go through this teaching, there's going to be information shared that will expose why those who are doing evangelistic witnessing are operating from a position. Now, watch this that actually is at a deficit with respect to those to whom they're attempting to share Christ. Along with that, during this teaching, we're going to identify how the floor was designed by God to be tilted firmly and specifically towards the one witnessing, and by what means that floor was to be tilted. Right now, as we witness because we do not understand the word of God, we are witnessing if I were the Christian from a deficit. And the reason we're witnessing from a deficit, I'm going to make every attempt to uncover. Uh, And I'm going to make every attempt to show you how the, the Christian should be operating from a tilted floor that is geared to where what he is doing, what he is sharing, and from where he is sharing it is being uh, used to penetrate, infiltrate, convict, convince, 
and ultimately change and then bring to transformation those to whom they witness to. But we're seeing in our society today that this transformation is not occurring. This change isn't occurring. And because it's not occurring, we're having people assenting and then uh, going about living their lives um, under the uh, misinformation of what Christian living is all about and actually becoming uh, in operation absolutely no different than the world around them. So, but there was something that Paul brought out in his encounter that shifted the control and ultimately that thing that Paul shifted the control with ultimately caused him to be able to win the Gentiles to Christ. I want you to see what that was and more important, I want to know, is that available today? So in this verse, Paul is showing us something concerning the life of the Gentiles that we may not have seen and probably have not put into words in proper perspective. As I've stated many times, for a believer to come to the cross and be forgiven of his sins, he has to become vertically healed. Uh, that's just one step in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, what do I mean by vertical healing? I mean he becomes spiritually that means in his inner man, in his spirit, aligned with the eternal spirit of God. In this alignment, the believer who comes has been reconnected to spirit, uh, in the spirit, to the God of his creation. Now here is where the floor never comes equal. Because we get saved, and I'm going to explain this to you, and our mind changes. But it's more than that. This is the first step, my friends, of spiritual development that Paul addresses when he speaks concerning the past lifestyle of the Gentiles in verse 3. Notice that in their first conversation, they fulfilled the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And that they were established by a nature that he referred to as the nature of the children of wrath. Here is what we know. Jesus taught that before a man could be baptized, he had to believe. So what had to be to first be addressed is mind, of course. To the Jew, the message was to repent, which meant to think differently. To the Gentile, the message was believe. Why was it different? Because the Jew already believed in God and had seen the work of the Holy Spirit. The Gentiles were idol worshippers, and therefore they had to have a complete belief system to be built in them because there was no belief system at all. It was on idols. So Paul knows that a change of thought had to be first uh, the thing that accepted that they accepted in a change of mind. This change of thought would certainly alter the way they conversed. If one's mind is changed, then one can certainly speak differently on the things of which his mind gains a new perspective. So the Gentiles had to experience a change of mind. Where would it happen? When they came to the understanding of the actions that were completed on the cross, that were done for their atonement and their redemption. They, then believing, would have an internal spiritual change that would connect them to God.
You see, the cross was an active operation. It was not a dead mechanism such as what we had found in idol worship. It was fluid. It was real. It produced a change in those who believed. What would happen? The inner self would be changed. They would go from darkness to light. It would be instantly recognizable in the way in which they began to communicate with each other. This communication change identified in them that a God had done something that was legitimate in them. It was not a work of an idol or a statue because when they prayed or spoke to that idol or statue, he never moved, he never listened, he never even insinuated that they heard. So how could this happen? Because the thing that precipitated the internal move was completed by the work of a shed blood. We know that shed blood to be the most powerful force in the universe. So having their mind changed to believe on Jesus Christ and his action that had occurred on the cross, the Gentile, with that changed mind, began to identify an action that was being done in them. So they changed from a dark communication into a communication that expressed the forgiveness of their sin. It also expressed very deep healing. That healing was communicated in now how they treated each other. They no longer lived to punish, be violent, or to take advantage of each other. They no longer lived for conquest. They lived under the bond of love. From where did this love come that so seized their mind? It was the result of believing on Jesus. The peace of them that harbored lawlessness and iniquity, which is in-depth wickedness, had been destroyed by the acts of Jesus and the shedding of blood. Grace was applied to them specifically for their change of mind. That was required for them now to become vertically aligned in their spirit with God. They believed because they saw what he had done for them and what he could do for them in believing faith, and they simply expressed a believing faith. A mind full of lawlessness and wickedness was changed. Any person who comes to know Jesus must begin with his mind. There must be an understanding of how the mind full of iniquity drives the flesh to do things that are in opposition to his spirit and to doing right. Now, look into Paul's writings in Galatians chapter 5. There you're going to see the works of darkness as they freely flow through mankind. You're going to see Paul categorize them into three classes. But when the change of mind happens, you're going to see a complete contrast in their behaviors. Well, why would that be? Because they have received a changed mind. They moved over into the production of behaviors and attitudes that reflected light. From there, the nine fruit of the Spirit began to be generated from them. Their conversation changed because their spirit was changed. The issue with our world currently is that uh, as we speak right now, right and truth is made to be very personal. Right is, right is, is considered to be my personal, my individual right. Truth is my personal and individual truth. So regardless of the wickedness that I'm engaged in, the support system tells me that 
the individual has the right to choose what they say is right, what they say is wrong, what they say is truth, and what they say is, is not. So it is whatever the individual considers it to be. They have the right to justify their actions based upon themselves and themselves alone. Of course, this is why our current day is in such desperate and dangerous scenarios. The guidelines of values and morals all now become individual. What I think, what I believe, how I see it, if you see it differently, you're wrong because I'm right. Therefore, if you choose to invade my space or my boundaries, then I have the right to deal with you under any means that I see fit. Now, the Gentiles of which Paul began to minister were mentally in the exact same condition. But the Holy Spirit, now I want you to get that. What happened that drove the change of mind was the Holy Spirit came in Paul's message. And according to Paul's writings in Ephesians 2 and 1 and Ephesians 4, 5 and 6, this Holy Spirit made them alive in their mind. Now, my friend, this is a critical fact concerning how Paul ministered into a Gentile world that had never been ministered to before. What have we done? Well, we've served to legislate the ministry of the Holy Spirit totally out of the church. So why is this not happening today? It's very simple. Because we have so diminished the truth of the message that those who are living under their own truth and their own morals believe that they have a God-given right to do so. How did this happen? <laughs> Rather easily, in reality. We taught them of a message of free grace. We taught them of a message of unmerited favor. We taught them of unending love. We eliminated the ministry of the Spirit. And we worked very diligently to eradicate the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be able to accomplish the things that we saw and read in that word that many that teach these doctrines are so clutching to their breast. Well, we saw that we would work to eradicate the very thing that we have Paul writing about that told us how he accomplished the ministry in a world that was stuck in idolatry. In other words, we did our best to subvert the gospel thinking. And in doing so, we just knew we were doing God a favor. We told our world of all the shortcuts that would get them to God, and we even told them that there was more ways than Jesus to get to God. They just needed to locate theirs. Their personal, their truth, their right. So they did. And they began to do it in their own way, and in doing so, they have done everything they could do to eliminate the church, replace the church with their personal truth. That truth meant that I am now in charge and whatever I say is spiritual is spiritual. What happens next is a throwback to what Paul encountered in the world of the Gentiles. We now live in a land of idols. They walk by us daily. We speak with them as they do and they have taken the idol off the mantle. And they have become their own little gods. 
The question is then, how can the gospel be presented? That changes the perception. Now here's where we begin to see why we are trying to witness for Christ from an unequal floor. Paul tells us unequivocally that the answer to the question that seems to perplex our church, our, our church world, to perplex our witnessing, is very simple. If we look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, it said, And you with he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin. Look at verse 4 through 6. But God, who was rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even as we were dead in sins, there it is again, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace you're saved. And have raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now here we see it. See those words quickening? The work that must be done is a work that can only be done by the replications of the actions of Jesus that are completed by the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul leads the conversation in Ephesians chapter 2 with. Before he tells us, by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourself, it's the gift of God, lest any man should boast. He tells us the infiltrating means that God prescribed that would tilt the floor and be able to minister into the lives of those who were steeped in adultery, that were steeped in false religion, false teaching, and false doctrine. Well, what Paul leads this conversation with is his uh, ministry in the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to show you that. Paul went beyond the concept of works that the Holy Spirit does in replicating the actions of Jesus to be saved. Went beyond the concept of how Jesus, it went into the concept of how Jesus Christ, the man in the Godhead, would through the Holy Spirit speaking to you so that you and me could be witnesses unto the world. Look at it. And what you're seeing there is the quickening. You hath he quickened. You hath he quickened. Where has he quickened us to? He has made us alive to Christ Jesus. And by grace, we're saved. The quickening raised us together with him and made us sit together in heavenly places. That was done by the Holy Spirit. My friend, this is the missing link that causes the table of witness to be done from a position that tilts the floor in our favor. Quickening. What is, uh, what is at issue? Why is it an issue in the church? Why can we just not allow the Holy Spirit to do what Paul said that he did to change the mind of those that were the idol worshipers and gen, uh, to, uh, who were Gentiles? Well, we determined that we didn't need the Holy Spirit to make people alive. No, we determined that we could make people believe and get them saved. But we didn't need the Holy Spirit to make them alive. We determined that we could come up with intellectual means to accomplish all on our own the things that we determined were needed to be done. We determined that the Holy Ghost could take some time off, rest a while, 
as we went out and shared what became our vision of truth to the world. So the Holy Spirit was put on a shelf. Things such as the Great Commission took its place. Evangelism became conversational. And it really became a battle of the wit. The unbeliever's wit against my wit. You watch it all the time as you watch any of the videos that come up on YouTube. Where the worldly sect is questioning a man from their wit, matching their wit with the Christian's wit, and trying to outwit each other. We see it done between those that operate in other religions, those that are operating in the modern uh, narrative of the day. We see it everywhere. We're matching wits. And it's my wit against yours. How I can can determine the Bible against how you determine whatever it is you believe. Yeah, just watch. You'll see people that do this all the time. And I love Geno Jennings, and I think he does a great job, but you'll see him match wit, Bible, against the question all the time. They're matching wits. That, that's interesting, isn't it? But we put the Holy Ghost on the shelf, and we would sit over coffee, or we would sit in the public square and debate the gospel so that one could eventually be deemed by the hearer to be a winner and then go tell his people, this is how you do it. In other words, we eliminated the work of the Holy Spirit. Now we said that we didn't do that. We said we prayed for guidance and we said we had done everything we could do to include it. We prayed for the one who had replicated in us how we were saved. That he would do the same in others, but we didn't pray. That Jesus Christ would, through the Holy Spirit, speak. Using as the means, his speaking, to be the means of ministry. Why? Because we didn't possess that quality. Why not? Because we denied. Our doctrinal day denies the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So obviously, we didn't operate in our witness being endued with power from on high because we've never been in the field with the Holy Spirit. So why do I say that? Why do I bring that to bear? Because all we have to do, my friend, is look at our world. All we have to do is look around and see what our intellectual outcomes have been. And what do we find? Chaos on every corner. We find a world that has gone into lawlessness deeper than it ever has before with the church on every corner. We find a world that has the precious word of God clutched to our breast. And they're killing and raping and stealing and selling drugs and so forth and so on. Domestic violence, suicide, whatever the case may be. Human trafficking, whatever the case may be. While we clutch that Bible to our breast and say, this is where you'll hear from God. So, we've determined that the work of the Holy Spirit uh, is no longer. What's the proof? The proof is in our world and in the activities of our world. It's in their ideas of personal spirituality and what can be spiritual and what ain't spiritual. It's in their measures of the application of grace and the misguided notions concerning the love of God. It's in their phrasing. 
such as things like, you know, God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. It's in their concepts concerning, we don't draw lines, we draw circles. Yes, we've determined that the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, as directed by Jesus, was not needed. We've built denominations on that concept. We built large congregations on that concept. We preached and taught our version of truth. <laughs> and it worked. We produced a crowd. We just produced a crowd that were not operating on the same plane in light as those that operated on, on, on a plane in darkness. In the long run, what we have preached and taught has failed. And it has failed miserably, not because the Word of God is not true, but because the Word of God is misrepresented, mishandled, misunderstood, and then mispresented to the people. Now, what do we got? We got a confused world that's struggling, and they are groaning in themselves for a spiritual identity. And those who built this monster of darkness, well, they're nowhere to be found. They're huddled in their churches clutching to a pulpit and continuing to teach the very means, the very doctrines that have kept, become captive and led people into bondage and that has destroyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just look around and evaluate your messages against the outcome. The only legitimate conclusion is to see that it has brought devastation to your front door. It further is trying to bring extinction to the very message of which you, although garbled, have attempted to present. Why? Because you refused and rejected the means by which Paul changed the trajectory of the Gentile nation. He allowed the Holy Spirit to make him alive. What did this mean? Paul allowed Jesus Christ himself to do the educating. All he did was yield to the voice of the Holy Spirit as he demonstrated to them the very power, presence, and purpose of the message of Jesus. Now, when I pray, you don't pay attention, but I pray, Lord, open my eyes that I can see and my ears that I can hear. And may I apply to my life the very image of Jesus Christ. Jesus, speak. Use the Holy Spirit and speak to me so that I can know what it is that you want me to know, do, understand, and demonstrate. And as I receive it, I will submit myself to it. Therein, after submitting to it, I'll reveal it and release it to your people. Yep. We don't want to do it that way anymore. We want to open a book and we want to read a few nicely stated lines written on a nicely prepared statement. And we don't want to hear from him anymore. Because if we did, we would have to go into the presence of God and into the power of God and not the power of our own intellect. You see, in Paul's ministry, they saw the power of Jesus Christ as he confirmed the word with signs following. And we choose to absolutely dry up that vein. One prominent preacher stated, if you want to see what Jesus has to say, then read his word. 
If you want to hear what Jesus has to say, read it out loud. My friend, that is not how Paul entered into the ministry of the Gentiles. That is not how Paul walked into a world full of idols and brought out of them churches. That is not how Paul did what Paul did. I'll show it to you. So our error becomes very apparent. Does it mean that due to this teaching that mankind is going to alter their course, begin again to seek the move of the Spirit? <laughs> I wish it did. But my ministry, as much as I try to put it out, and as many countries as we've gone into, and as many wonderful people as I see show up on Facebook podcast, uh, Lift Him Higher Radio, and all of our media outreaches. We don't seem to go broad enough and far enough. So the message, although out there, and out there as long as it is available on these various uh, media outreaches, may never reach into the places that it needs to reach, but it needs to reach you. It needs to reach you. I wish it would go into the denominational heads and they would sit down and begin to seek God and see the truth in His Word. They may not, but you can. So, this teaching may never go into the places that are going to change the denominational issues as we taught you with water baptism. And now as we are teaching you with the uh, leveling and the upper plane that our witnessing should come from. Many men are going to live and they're going to die without the spirit of truth ever being revealed to them. It's for this very purpose that Paul wrote his writings in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. No, there'll be those like me who will see the answer and teach it and preach it as truth. But we will be few and very far between. Because there will be those who will work, and, uh, there will be those who are going to work and walk in the Spirit, and we will be as Jesus was when He walked among those of His own in Nazareth. We will be unable to do many miracles or deeds that free the people. We'll be unable to share truth because of a closed religious community. Why? Because we live today, my friends, in what legitimately is as a faceless community. What does that mean? Isn't that what was wrong with Nazareth? They were a faithless community and how did it happen? They had gone into the religious community of their day. Simple, very simple. The same way it happened in America, it happened in Nazareth. We got our eyes on our own intellect. We educated ourselves out of the blessing. How did we do it? We tried to humanize everything and make it touchable and tangible. Remember they said to Jesus, about Jesus, isn't this the son of the carpenter? They placed no faith in him, his divine side, or his works. Because all they could see was exactly what their eye looked at. What a tragedy that is. My friends, we're Nazareth. We see things based on how we perceive it. We've determined that uh, this day of doing great works is over. We perceive that the day of spiritual things has ceased. 
We perceive that if we cannot do it the way we want it done, then it just cannot be done. We preach and teach against anybody who talks differently. And we say, who in the world does he think he is? Where did he get that from? Whose wisdom is he operating from? We are Nazareth. The results are that Nazareth was left dishonored by the one who was among them that was the Son of God. The people were left poor, broken, bruised, captive, blind, and in bondage. What a pity. Does this not ring true and become apparent in our day? My friends, we are Nazareth. But in the divine plan of God, we were never intended to be Nazareth. We were provided the tools to be the church of the living God and full and complete in Him over every principality and every power. What did we do? We hung up our tools and then we simply gave them away. Now we know why in that day when people stand before Jesus, He's going to say to them, I never knew you. They will tell Him what all they did. How they built great churches and great doctrines. How they led countless. And he'll say, I never knew you. Because it was all done absent of the necessary ingredient in which Paul took in to the Gentile nation. It was all done without the Holy Spirit. My time is up for part one. Father, I pray that you'll bless your word. That you'll open our eyes that we can see and our ears that we can hear and our heart that we can understand. So that we can be changed. Holy Spirit, pierce and convict the hearts of those who have set you on the sideline. And have said no to this great ministry of the Holy Spirit. I pray today that they would come to the knowledge of the truth. And that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit, and change their witness. I ask it to be done in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. I see so many on here that I do not know, but I want to tell you, you're here for a purpose and you're here for a reason. May God bless you as you study His Word. Until we come back with part two on the divine means to tilt the floor, so that we can win souls for Jesus Christ. God bless you until we speak.